This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm getting into the science of intermittent fasting, sharing my experience about how it's worked for me, and talking about why it works for just about everybody. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm going to talk in a little bit more detail about intermittent fasting, which all of us have heard of, but few of us probably understand because I can tell you that until recently I didn't really understand it and I've actually been doing it myself and doing a lot of research with it along with our weight loss program that uses intermittent fasting as part of its success. So not all of our patients use intermittent fasting, but I can tell you the ones that do have had better results. So what is it and why does it work? So intermittent fasting, as it sounds, is any type of program that uses blocks of time where we're not consuming any calories to increase our metabolism for purposes not only of weight loss, but also for other health benefits that I'll go over with you as well. Now, if you think about it, we were not really designed to be eating food all day. We're not like cows that were designed to graze all day. In our hunter-gatherer state, we maybe ate once a day if we were lucky. We certainly didn't eat three meals a day and snack in between. So the idea that we were all taught that breakfast is the most important meal seems now not to be based in science. The more nutritional science that's developed over the years, the more evidence there is that not eating breakfast, and I know it sounds a backwards because I grew up thinking breakfast was the most important meal, not eating breakfast and having significant periods of time where we're not consuming calories is not only better for our body, but it stimulates fat burning, which what is what most of us want. So what's a typical pattern and why does it work? So you may hear a very typical pattern that uh, people choose is an 8-16 pattern. That means that we're eating for eight hours of the day and fasting for 16 hours. So a common pattern would be to consume all of our calories between 12 p.m. and 8 p.m. And we can make those hours whatever we want to. We could do a 12-hour fast. A 16-hour fast is potentially more beneficial. Uh, but any type of prolonged period of fasting seems to be helpful. So let's go with the idea of a 16-8 since that's the most common. The 12 to 8 p.m. is totally arbitrary. It depends on your lifestyle. If you're someone who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and eats dinner at 5 p.m. and goes to bed at 8 because of your work hours or your lifestyle, you could choose to change it. Maybe you eat from... Uh, say 10 to 6 or whatever you choose. So the key is to make it fit with your lifestyle. And the key is to eat really healthy nutritional foods during that eight hour window. And so let's talk about what you eat during the eight hour window and what's happening to your body during the fast. Because I think once we understand the physiology a little bit, it just starts to make sense. So just as a review, because we've talked about this so many times, as we get older, and I'm just going to talk about women in particular as we get older in our perimenopausal years and then especially the years after menopause, all of us, whether we're diabetic or not, become very sensitive to sugar and carbohydrates. So what's happening in our body is when we eat sugar and carbohydrates, our pancreas, which is right next to our stomach, produces a hormone called insulin. What insulin does is allow sugar to enter the cells. So in a diabetic patient, for example, a juvenile diabetic who doesn't have any insulin, that's an autoimmune condition, sugar doesn't enter their cells, their blood sugar levels are incredibly high, 
and they need insulin in order to survive. What we also notice in so-called type 1 diabetics who don't make any insulin is they're usually very skinny. They don't struggle with their weight. Now, we don't want that, but just as an example of how insulin works. Now, on a different spectrum, type 2 diabetics, which is the common adult onset diabetes, we actually start by making too much insulin. We've got high circulating insulin in our bloodstreams. We can check for this by checking your fasting insulin as well as your blood sugar. And many of us are what we call insulin resistant. We may not be diabetic, but we're producing insulin. Our body's just sort of not responding to it as much as usual. And so over time, we're not absorbing as much sugar into our cells. Our insulin level is circulating at a higher level. Over time, that can turn into type 2 diabetes where our blood sugar is actually persistently quite high. We know all of the things that happen in that story, and we don't want to go there. But all of us, almost without exception, become a little bit insulin resistant, even if we never become diabetic. So if we measure your fasting insulin, it goes up over time. Well, what does that mean? That means that we gain fat more easily because insulin is a fat storing hormone. What our bodies are trying to do, and our bodies are so intelligent, we're trying to survive. So when we see sugar, we store it in our body, and that is stored as a substance called glycogen in our muscles and in our liver so that when we're not eating, we can release that sugar and survive so that we have energy to metabolize our food, energy to do all of our cellular mechanisms, to move around, heartbeat, all of the important things. But any excess is stored as fat. So eating more sugar and carbohydrates is a pathway to storing more fat. Now, we are going to do that with the other macros with fat and protein, but much less efficiently. So simply lowering our insulin puts us into a fat burning state. Now, what's that got to do with fasting? If we're not eating food for 16 hours, our insulin level is going to drop. So we'll just do an imaginary morning if you're doing intermittent fasting. We wake up, maybe we have some water, some tea, black coffee. We're not consuming any sugar. We're moving around. Our brains are working. Our brains actually consume about 60% of the glycogen in our system. It takes an enormous amount of energy to run this incredible brain. And we're, what we're doing is we're burning the glycogen. And when that runs out, we start burning fat. So prolonged periods of fasting use up all our glycogen. And then we have no option other than to burn fat. Now, we can also burn muscle. But if we're using our muscles, and we've talked about that a lot, and eating plenty of protein, our muscles are going to be in a regenerative state, so we're much less likely to lose muscle. And we talked about that a little bit last time when we were looking at how to get enough protein in our diet. So intermittent fasting, along with eating a high-protein, low-sugar, low-carbohydrate nutrition plan, and using our muscles, doing some type of strength training, is really part of the whole picture when we're trying not only to maintain our weight but to live a long time. I love the idea of not just having longevity, but having a long period of health. So we want to think about our health lifespan, not just our years lifespan, because it's not too hard to live to be 90 years old when you're on 100 medications, but your quality of life is really, really low. So we want to have a healthy life for as long as we can. And using some form of intermittent fasting, Actually, now is approved by the American Heart Association, even the American Diabetic Association in certain situations. 
big organizations who really study the literature are actually supporting this, not only for weight maintenance, but also for longevity. So what do we eat during that eight hours? I'm going to walk you through my imaginary day. I'm doing this right now myself. So wake up in the morning. It's actually a good idea, if you can, to exercise in a fasting state. Now, if you're just starting, I don't recommend that you run six miles in a fasting state. You're not going to feel good. You may want to do some type of regenerative exercise like yoga, Pilates, something that's a little bit more low impact. Now, if you're someone who's a little bit more seasoned and does a lot of exercise and has tried this, I can actually do you know two or three hours of cardio in a fasting state and I don't feel bad because my body's got very used to regulating its sugar and I've also had quite a long period of time where I don't eat much sugar so I don't have those highs and lows of glucose which is something really great that we can talk about. So get up, I do my normal exercise, I go to work if it's a work day and then around noon I start eating. Around 8 p.m. I stop eating. So we've already talked about what we want to consume during that eight hour window. We want about one gram of protein per ideal body weight, up to about a maximum of 140, unless you're a straight up bodybuilder. So for me, you know, 100 to 120 grams of protein, minimizing sugar and carbohydrates, and I'll just say eliminating sugar in the common sources where we all know that white sugar is found, minimizing the sources of carbohydrates that are the obvious ones like bread, pasta, crackers, you know what they are. I know you could write a book on nutrition. Most of my patients can. Doing it's a little bit more difficult. So I'll have my, we all, I've been talking about my pea protein shakes for a long time. I'll usually have one of those around noon. That's 25 grams of protein. I'll have an egg or some other meat substitute. Most of you know I'm vegetarian. In any form that you get it, getting a high protein meal for your first meal is a really good idea because remember, we do not want to start cannibalizing our muscle Another thing is that protein keeps us less hungry for longer because it doesn't elevate our blood sugar. It doesn't spike our insulin. It doesn't elevate our sugar very quickly. And so it doesn't result in that crash in blood sugar that can be perceived as being hangry, jittery, hungry, craving. So eating protein reduces cravings, reduces hunger, and it keeps our blood sugar much more stable for a longer time. So maybe your 12 o'clock meal has let's just say 50 grams of protein. And, and maybe that's about half to a third of what you need throughout the day. Somewhere around about three or four o'clock, I'll have another high protein meal. Now, if you're eating on a more regular schedule, I realize my diet's a little bit weird to many of us. So 12 o'clock probably would be lunch for most people. Let's just say seven o'clock might be dinner for most people. I'm gonna have another meal in there. And it, you might call it a snack, but I do wanna get at least 25 grams of protein in that snack as well. So for me, it might be a protein shake. And then dinner, similarly, something that's high in lean protein. If you eat meat, fish, or chicken, that's an easy way to do it. For me, it might be something else like tofu or a non-meat meat substitute or some beans or hummus or eggs or all of the other things that we talked about last week that are high in protein. And then, now I, I do still have a glass of wine. <laughs> I never tell patients to eliminate alcohol altogether unless they are an addict, that's important, or if alcohol is something that they really crave, it can be useful to get rid of it completely. Um, I personally like, I like a lot of different types of alcohol, but what I've learned to enjoy are like a glass of a dry red wine, relatively low in sugar and carbs, 
We want to look for wines that are organic, that are free of all of the sulfites and preservatives if we can. Or if we really like a cocktail, vodka, gin, tequila, all very low in sugar and carbs. If you mix them with something that is calorie free, like a vodka soda with a little lime, tequila on the rocks with a little Splenda and lime, all of those things can give us that nice uh, cocktail that we enjoy without adding anything to increasing our blood sugar. Hopefully we're done with that at eight o'clock or so if we're using this 12 to eight regimen. Now the key, it really depends on when you go to bed. We want at least two hours before you go to bed without any additional calories being added to your system. Imagine if you do what I used to do, which is eat a whole bunch of calories, you know, around 10 or 10.30. So I've eaten my dinner at six, and then around 10, because I ate a lot of carbs, all of a sudden my blood sugar drops and I feel starving. So then I go to the pantry, I eat some chips, that's my favorite, maybe have some ice cream. If God told me I had to give up sugar or salt, I would give up sugar, I'm a salt addict. So I'd have my chips, I'd have my crunchy snacks, maybe another glass of wine, and then I would go to sleep. And so I've got tons of circulating carbohydrates in my system and my very clever body is like, yay, this is a great opportunity for us to store fat, just in case there's a famine in the future or all of the things that used to happen in our biologic historical past. <laughs> and we store fat very easily while we're sleeping. So it's a really great idea to have at least two hours before finishing your calories and when you go to sleep. So I like putting things in my mouth at bedtime. Most of us do. And they can be various things, but I'm talking about things like hot tea, you know, sleepy time tea, even uh, hot water and lemon is quite satisfying. Of course, water is a really great idea, uh, but putting something in your mouth so that you don't feel hungry. Now, if you're someone on our weight loss plan and you're using a medication like semaglutide, you're not gonna be hungry anyway, but I'm talking about what to do if you're not on our weight loss plan, if you're doing this more for health, or if you're just doing it for maintenance for long-term, this is a great long-term lifestyle change. Okay, so then I go to sleep. I don't have any circulating sugar in my system. My liver and my muscles are full of glycogen still, and I'm not using very much because I'm sleeping. I wake up again the next morning, go to the gym, do my exercise, walk the dog, whatever it is that I do in the morning, go to work, and I'm using that glycogen through the early part of the morning that was stored from the previous day, and at a certain point, there's no more left, and I, my body has no option but to go into burning fat. At that point, we're in a state called ketosis. Now, we don't have to do the strict keto diet to get into ketosis for a couple of hours a day. That just means we're burning fat for fuel. It's actually quite well known that when we're in a state of ketosis, our brains are more alert, people become more creative, we think more clearly, brain fog clears up. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but many people experience that. And I've actually started to experience that myself, that the mornings are when I feel more clarity, I feel more emotionally balanced, I come up with my best ideas. How many of us have experienced after a big meal, we just feel fuzzy and, and bloated and wanna to go to sleep? So being in a fasted state, for a reasonable period of time, we often become very clear, we think well, we feel more balanced, and so it, it actually makes you feel better once you get used to the change. Now, if you're someone who's used to eating a lot of sugar, there's no question that not eating sugar for 16 hours is gonna feel pretty uncomfortable initially because 
Our bodies have experienced highs of sugar that are now dropping, and that can be experienced, as we all know, as jittery, angry, starving. Then we go eat more sugar, and the pattern continues. So if you are a big sugarholic, you might want to start with a 12-hour fast and then increase it one hour at a time. You can also get through it if you're a get-through-it type person. It will not kill you, and those sugar cravings will go away in about 72 hours. And I can tell you a funny experience when I did a detox program with my very good friend, Dr. Nishat Latib, and I'll put her information below. She's a terrific functional medicine doctor here in Houston. Uh, so the detox program involves getting rid of all of the stuff that we know is bad for us. And for me, one of the most important things was getting rid of sugar and caffeine and alcohol. <laughs> I felt horrible for 72 hours. Uh, she, she could tell you a funny story where I actually got really mad at her. I got angry. I was like, this sucks. I hate it. I'm going to die. I feel horrible. Why did you tell me to do this? I'm never going to recommend it to anybody. That was on Wednesday afternoon. It started on Monday. She very politely just encouraged me to wait a little bit longer. And sure enough, on Thursday morning, 72 hours later, I woke up and said, okay, am I all right? And I felt really good. And from then on, felt really good. But yeah, if your body's full of toxic crap, it takes a few days before you feel well, similar to giving up smoking or any other bad habit that we have. We've got to get that stuff out of our system first. So... What's happening inside our system uh, other than what I've talked about when we do intermittent fasting? Well, we're actually allowing our cells to rust a little bit and do the jobs that they need to do. If we're eating all day long and all our body is focused on is digestion, it's a lot of work. It's like making our bodies work 24-7 and not giving our bodies a break. There's a lot of science that during those breaks from digestion, we're able to function better. Our cellular mechanisms improve on a number of levels. There's emerging science that people who fast intermittently have decreased risks of things like Alzheimer's disease. And that's just, this is real science. It allows our brain to regenerate. Uh, American Heart Association and others have published studies showing that it decreases the incidence of heart disease, obviously of diabetes. So part of that is just that we're eating better foods. And part of it actually has to do with the fasting state. So I was a very skeptical uh, believer at first until I tried it myself. And I mentioned in the previous video when I did this for two weeks, actually eating a high protein diet, 120 grams of protein a day, eating from 12 to eight. And because I was doing a controlled study on one person, just me, I did not change anything else. I didn't change my exercise, didn't change anything else that I was doing. I gained two pounds of muscle and I lost two pounds of fat. So that, I mean, that's a very small study with uh, one person in it, but I've seen this in many of our patients and there are much larger studies that are out there from very reputable sources that support the same idea. So I'm a big proponent of trying this. Um, I wanna put a link to a fantastic interview that Dominique Saksa, my dear friend, did with my other dear friend, Dr. Nishat Latif, who I mentioned, and she talks even in more detail about intermittent fasting and ideal nutrition. I think it's a fabulous interview that almost all of us would benefit from watching. So other things that we see is improved sleep. Now, again, if you imagine you're going to sleep with a high blood sugar, and then sometime after you go to sleep, your blood sugar drops, it affects our ability to stay asleep. 
We see similar things with drinking alcohol late at night. Most, most of us know this, right? You have a glass of wine or two or three late at night, you feel very tired, you go to sleep, and then as the alcohol wears off and the sugar drops, you wake up and we're wide awake at one o'clock in the morning and that absolutely happens to me. I know if I drink after eight or more than one glass of wine, I am going to wake up once or twice. And so that starts making that beverage look not quite as attractive. I might change my mind and either drink it a little bit earlier or if, we're on a, if we are on a carbohydrate restricted diet, maybe thinking about drinking it less or even not at all or certainly sticking to those very low glycemic drinks. So low glycemic just means that not all sugars are the same. Some types of sugar and some foods elevate our blood sugar more than others. So we wanna really look at the nutritional information and in the foods that we're eating. Don't obsess about it. A really easy thing to do is if you're eating whole foods that are fresh fruit and vegetables, things that came from the earth, uh, you're pretty safe. Um, if you're eating things that are in a package, and a lot of them I showed you last week, some packaged foods that are high in protein, we have to be really careful to look at those labels because they can actually be pretty high in sugar and carbohydrates. So we want to balance those things. So I really encourage you to give it a try. Uh, what you'll find is you won't notice an incredible difference immediately. Now, I noticed a small difference even in two weeks, so it can happen pretty quickly. But some patients might have you know eight or 12 weeks before they start noticing big changes so it is something that i advise you to stick to to consider more of a lifestyle rather than as a quick fix to anything uh, because this is a lifestyle change to not be eating all day long as we were taught when we were younger not be snacking and eating eight meals a day we were taught that when we were younger too but just eating for eight hours a day and making those very high protein meals stopping at least two hours before bedtime. And I'll just add one other thing that I noticed and many of my patients notice that's more of a psychological benefit with intermittent fasting because many of us have become so obsessed with food throughout our lives. I can tell you my personal story. When I was a teenager, I was pretty chubby when I was young and around 13, 14 became extremely obsessed with food, calorie counting, exercise, all of those things. I had very unhealthy relationships with food that now would be classified as eating disorders. I was thinking 100% of my waking hours about what I was gonna eat or what I was gonna eat next or how many calories were in this and that. Very, very unhealthy and a gigantic waste of time. I've given that up now, I don't think about food as much, but I know that I still have that underlying food addiction because just like any addicts, it doesn't really go away. So if I can free myself for long periods of time every day from having to think about food at all, it's such an amazing relief. So I know that from when I wake up until 12, I don't have to think about food. It doesn't cross my mind anymore. And then after eight, I don't have to think about food. It doesn't cross my mind. And during 12 to eight, I've got a pretty good routine. Really don't think about it very much. I just do it. And I think for many of us who have become so food obsessed throughout our lives, the idea of this is not to become more food obsessed, it's to become less food obsessed. Food is wonderful, we need it to survive, primarily it's fuel, but it's also beautiful. You know, we have been given these God-given senses with smell and taste and we wanna enjoy our food, but not to a point where we obsess about it and waste our precious lives thinking about food, weight, calories, 
under the system, we really don't count anything. There's no calorie counting. That is a complete waste of time. We know that the idea of calories in, calories out isn't true. If it was, we'd all lose weight. There's way more to it than that, as we now know. So the only thing I would encourage you to have a sky-high level counting is the number of grams of protein that you're getting. And you could do that just by counting it for a week or two until you get pretty familiar with what's in your foods and then you can stop counting. You just kind of generally know where you are. And same with carbs. I mean, maybe count them for a couple of weeks if you're not familiar with what's in the foods that you're eating and then stop counting because it will drive you nuts. Just have a general sense of what you're getting and then you can carry that on for life and it doesn't become anything that takes any time to think about at all except doing some clean grocery shopping. I always advise everybody to do a clean out of their fridge, pantry, freezer. Just do a cathartic dump into a big black trash can. Take all that stuff that you know isn't good for you and just throw it away because it's a whole lot harder when I'm having a late night craving for something for me to get dressed, jump in the car, drive to the store and buy a pint of ice cream than it is just to walk downstairs in my dressing gown and eat a pint of ice cream. So if you get it out of the house, it gives you time to have a little bit of a pause before you make a decision that's not going to be good for your health. So like I always say, if you want to feel good about yourself, do things that you feel good about and you will feel good about this. So if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you do intermittent fasting or you have any ideas about what's worked for you, put some comments below. We'd love to hear those because everybody is interested in how to live a healthy, long life, how to reduce body fat, gain muscle, or at least maintain it, and to think about having long health, not just long life. That's what we're all here for, isn't it? So I look forward to seeing you next week.